all have some area of our lives where we are not sure of our adequacy. And so I just say, okay, it's learned behavior. You can learn to be confident, but we learn through what we were told as a child or through authority figures or by failing and somebody poking fun at us about that. So it's all learned, but the thing is it can be unlearned. Well, that's Deborah Pagay, and she joins us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, something I tried to drill into my boys as they were growing up was kind of a healthy identity in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. That's where it all starts, and boy, as parents, that's the one thing you have to do with your kids as best as you can. And uh, they need to know that their worth isn't in their behavior or in their activities, sports, whatever. Their identity as Christians is in Christ. And I'm convinced uh, we adults need to hear that from time to time as well. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to drift and look for security and things outside of God. It might be the nice car, the nice house, the title, whatever. Uh, But left on our own, we'll always struggle with insecurity and lean into those things that are the more worldly Mm -hmm. applications rather than knowing who we are in Christ. And today, we're going to have a great chat with uh, someone who will help you uh, really understand your confidence, not in yourself, but in your relationship with Christ and what the Lord can do with that kind of strong healthy confidence. Yeah, we we can have peace apart from all the external stuff that we think is going to satisfy. And Deborah Pagay, uh, she's got a background in the corporate world. She's a Bible teacher who speaks internationally. She's a really popular guest here at Focus and returns today for a conversation about a book uh, that she wrote called 30 Days to a Stronger, More Confident You, Secrets to Bold and Fearless Living. Deborah, it's so good to have you back. Thank you so much. It's just a delight. I'm just honored at the opportunity to be here. You, uh, let me start here. You seem like a ball of energy. Is <laughs> this am. how you are all I, day long? I am. My husband says I'm like that hummingbird. He has some pet hummingbirds, and oh. they just buzz around all the time. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I mean, you're just fun to be with. Well, and, thank you. Uh, I, I enjoy life. Yeah, that's I do. good. I do. Where do you think that came from? Romans eight twenty eight. You, you know, I'm a walking Bible. But, Everything works together for my good. I mean, the stuff that just that I can never figure out. I mean, some things happened even on this trip that I can't figure out what the good was. But I'm like, in the scheme of things, when it's all said and done, something good is going to come out of that. That is a thriving (laughs) attitude, though. But not many people possess it. Well, I know that's why I'm I'm on a mission to make sure that people do. I don't tolerate disappointment very long and sadness because why would I when God has allowed it? Every day ordained for me was already written in His book. Yeah, how about that? I mean, it really is the basis for what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, in your great book, Thirty Days to a Stronger, More Confident You, uh, one of the things you say you have to do first is to diagnose your level of insecurity. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't know. I mean, John, do you feel insecure all, all in some All the time areas? around you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, I think back to being a teenager, which is kind of where it really hit a high level. Everybody's insecure. And it just continues. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it never really leaves, I don't think, for a lot of us. No, so, it doesn't. So what's that, that check that you recommend people do to say, how insecure are you? Well, first of all, I, I say, what, what, let's just talk about what insecurity is, because that means to be not sure. Okay, that's what the word means, not sure. Hmm. So we all have some area of our lives where we are not sure of our adequacy. And so I just say, okay, it's learned behavior. It really is learned behavior. You can learn to be confident, but we learn through what we were told as a child or through authority figures or by failing and somebody poking fun at us about that. So it's all learned. But the thing is, it can be unlearned. And that's what I like. And it's really not about developing self-confidence because I'm adamantly opposed to that concept. 
Yeah. Self-confidence. Think about that. Confidence means with trust. Hmm. Self-confidence means with trust in Yourself. Yourself, right. That's not good. The Bible says he who trusts in himself is a fool. So I'm not trying to be a fool. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Not trying to be a fool. No, that's good. I would also say insecurity seems to be rooted in comparison. Hmm. I mean, that's a problem. And our culture is rife with comparison, right? Absolutely. What we drive, where we live, what job we have, uh, who our friends are. We're bombarded with the commercials. Every commercial, and I, I, I consciously watch them now to look for that piece that says you're inadequate, you need something. Right. So every commercial says either you need this new car or you need this type, you need whatever so that you can now be acceptable or, or even superior. So we, we do that. So many people buy, buy self-esteem. You know, I'm a CPA by training and I oftentimes help people with their budgets. And I see people buy things so that other people esteem so they can be esteemed. Because if I have that item and people esteem that, perhaps they'll esteem me. Your finger's right on it. I mean, that's materialism, Yeah, right? it is. It is. Let, let's get the scripture in here. Uh, David, who we all adore in, for different reasons, but uh, King David, his brother hmm. uh, was an example that you used in the book that, that talked about envy. Yeah. Eliab, David's brother. When God told Samuel to anoint a king, the first thing Samuel did when he saw that tall, handsome Eliab, he said, that's the one. He looks kingly. And God says, no, 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 that's not it. Because later on, when um, it was time to fight Goliath, David came down to the battlefield, and we all know the story. But Eliab said, what are you doing down here? And, and all, everybody was running from the giant. But here's what I like about this story. Eliab's name meant God is my father. That's what his name means. But he was running from the giant. How many of us do that? We say God is our father, but we're afraid. We have this giant of insecurity that makes us act like God is not our father. Mm, that is good. We act like God is not our father. Just think about it. If we really embrace the truth that God is omniscient, you know, he's always, he knows everything. He's always present and he's all powerful. And we have that spirit in us. You show up differently, Jim. You show up differently. You show up with confidence because it's not in yourself. You know that you have a spirit in you that knows everything. Now, you're not going to know everything, but you're going to know everything you need to know when you need to know it. Yeah. And, and envy is one of the three uh, symptoms that you state of oh, insecurity. Oh, what absolutely. are the other two? Well, the other two are people pleasing and workaholism. And, um, and uh, you know, th- let me just talk about that envy just a little bit because people uh, sometimes confuse that with jealousy. Uh-huh. But jealousy is rooted in fear. Jealousy says, I'm afraid that you're going to take what I have. And that's a form of insecurity as well. But envy says, I want what you have. And because I don't have it, I feel ill will towards you. So that's rooted in discontentment. We don't have to be insecure about what God has given us. You know, as a speaker, we talk, we sometimes compare, you know, or I'll look yeah. at people who are more popular than I am. They have huge followings. And I have to tell you this real quickly, because the other day I said, oh, I just don't have anybody. I'm, 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 my father isn't a famous preacher or I don't have, I said, I'm nobody's daughter. I was like, I stopped writing yeah, my tracks. Right. Oh, really? <laughs> you of all my, people. Yeah. You're nobody's daughter. Like, oh, you're not God's daughter. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) But we have to learn how to be content with what God, the track he's put us on. And that, and you show up differently as well when you know that. Because now you can be secure knowing if he's ordained my path, how can I fail? You know, what's a little scary about envy is it's in Galatians 5.19. It's the fruit of the other guy, yeah, the enemy. Yeah, works of the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. one of his mm-hmm. attributes is envy. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, that's horrible. Well, it's horrible, but once we, we have to be conscious of it. So when I talk about assessing your level of insecurity, ask yourself, whom do I envy and why? 
Why do I envy that person? You know, but the, you asked me the question about what the other two were. People pleasing, insecure people like to please people because they're so afraid of being rejected and alienated. That's a big deal. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be isolated. We were born to be in community with people. Yeah, Deborah, that one can be difficult because I think we can confuse that with the fruit of the spirit, the right fruit, you know, where we want to be kind and considerate and people pleasing, how do you distinguish where that line should be and where it's unhealthy versus, you know, spiritually good? Well, you look at your underlying motive. Why do I want to pay for lunch for you all the time? So I think that's like a great me. idea. I think it's a great idea, too, if you're the one paying. <laughs> I heard you just offered to do that. <laughs> I think we're going to lunch today. But yeah, because we want to be accepted. Right. Yeah. And so if that's the motive, it's coming from the wrong. Right. So you have to look at the why. Why am I doing this? I'm always analyzing myself and questioning my motives. The the psalm says God desires truth in the inward parts. I mean, don't lie to yourself. Just understand what's motivating you. You know, really, that's in Psalm 51. God desires us to be truthful to ourselves. And so I have to ask myself that I've done things in my life to ingratiate myself to people. I'll admit that. I wasn't just networking. I was really trying to get on their good side because they had great influence. <laughs> right. So there was motivation. There, there was motivation there. But what I forgot and I have to remind myself that favor comes from God, not from my maneuvering, my ability to network effectively. <laughs> Ooh, I, that is a huge statement. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that I, I think Christians as well as non-Christians get that one all muddled. Well, we do. And that's why, you see, that's why I'm adamant about people walking out the scriptures and making it a practical part of your life. Because there have been times I couldn't get favor with people. And it's like, oh, you're relying on them. You're so insecure and, 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 and not believing God that you think that person can have influence on your career. And I can't. I'm everybody's father. I may not be everybody's Lord. God is everybody's father. So right. I don't have to know. Get somebody who knows that person who knows that person. <laughs> God's everybody's father. When again, when you have that attitude, you're walking in peace. Oh, now that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> because peace is the opposite of insecurity. Because it's it's anxiety producing to be insecure. But oh, once yeah. you just know and you just you just show up with the with a mindset that says, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm always winning. See, I mean you need to say that because faith comes by hearing. Yeah. I need to say that that I'm always winning. When you when you look at today's culture, how much of that is in play right now mm-hmm. when you look at the church kind of bending to cultural Absolutely. Um, appetites? In almost every area, I am totally alarmed by the fact that now we seem to be more political than biblical. Think about that. Yeah. We're embracing things that are not all not always biblical because we're having alignment with a political party or whatever. And I'm concerned about that. I'm praying about it. I'm not voicing out a lot about it, but I know that prayer works. <laughs> and so we're going to have to look at that. How are we influenced by the culture? Because we are. I think one of the greatest problems in the church is that the world has gotten in the church. The church is more worldly and we haven't made the world more churchly. <laughs> if that's yeah. the word, but we become more worldly. Yeah. yeah. And that's the point. Uh, workaholism. Uh, this uh, one's going to hit a lot of people. Um, That idea that we derive our value, our worth out of how long we work in a given day. Well, I'd have to say I'm the first one who would have to raise your hand. Every job I've ever been on, and I, I work for myself now, my car was the last one in the parking lot. And once I just asked myself, especially when I worked at a church and everybody thought I did a great job, and once somebody tells you do a great job, you want to do a greater job so you can keep getting those accolades. <laughs> yeah. So knowing you have to know when you are performance-oriented. Again, it goes back to asking yourself why, what's motivating me. And I think I like the fact that everybody says she's a really hard worker and she has her stuff together. It's like, keep saying that. <laughs> 
Well, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. Rather than just doing as unto the Lord, you know, you're working as unto the Lord. You want to be excellent because that's what God requires. No, I wanted to be excellent because everybody spoke of the fact that I was excellent. So it's like, that's, let's keep that going. That's not good. It messes with your health. Mm-hmm. You know, really does. It does. Uh, it'll mess with your relationship. Darnell, yeah. fine to put some guidelines. So, okay, on Fridays, you can't work late. That's date night. So whatever's going down, <laughs> you have to be done about five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> good for Darnell. Yeah. I like that. But yeah. you're, you're saying this is all rooted in insecurity, yeah. whether it's envy, people pleasing, right. or workaholism. Right. That these are to get accolades from others Absolutely. and feel better about yourself. Right, feel better about yourself. And we do all kinds of things to feel better about ourselves. And we have to be honest about it. You, when you ask yourself, why am I doing this? You have to be honest about what your intention is. I want to take us back to roadblock to confidence because okay. you, you mentioned perfectionism is one of those roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I think I can relate to that, but Give me the definition of perfectionism. Well, perfectionism is that thing that's, uh, that says it's got to be exactly right because it's, it's, really, it's really rooted in the fear of being criticized. So if I can be perfect, then nobody will criticize me. Then I won't have to be reminded that I have some vulnerabilities, some inadequacies. So we, we strive with that. That's what is rooted in the fear. That fear of being criticized is very real. And you know what? It just makes everybody crazy. And the and interesting thing is people relate to us on our v- vulnerabilities more than they do our perfections. And so it really makes you more relatable when you can say, I'm not really good at that. You know, that's why I willingly confess to people. I don't I have to still battle fear. It shows up. I don't like flying. I'm just you don't want to sit by me. You might be embarrassed when I, when we get turbulence. You probably won't know I'm a Christian. I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting up. I'm not saying things. You're like I'm just that woman. Up. I was on a flight one time and this <laughs> random stranger woman just grabbed my hand and said, can I hold your hand? I'm afraid of flying. I was like, uh, OK, if that gives you some kind of comfort. <laughs> you know what would be funny? Jim, if that if you were that guy, because I did that with a guy, and he was he was I'm black, he was white, and it was way way back when. And I just grabbed his hand. I said, "Sir, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to hold your hand until we get airborne. I'll let you go when we get up." It was fine, but uh, yeah, I never knew that my gentlemanliness could be used in that way. But that was great, um, Deborah. I do want to come back to something you mentioned okay. there. This idea of perfectionism, and then earlier we talked about doing everything under the Lord with excellence. So what's that, you know, for the person that struggles to discern, where is it my perfectionism and where is it my excellence for the Lord? Motive. Okay. Perfectionism is, is based on you seeing me in the best light. Excellence is about making sure the project is done well. It really is about understanding that because you have, listen, I ran a department once and I didn't want anybody messing up because I was the first woman to be in that department to head that kind of a thing. And one guy just kept messing up and I'm like, don't y'all make me look bad. Well, now was the goal there really to glorify God? No, it's like, don't make me look bad. <laughs> Okay, that's not a good motive. That's not a good motive. Yeah. <laughs> so again, that perfectionism, you have to understand why. What's driving that? I'm trying to make sure I am presented in the best light and that I don't get criticized because it's excellent, but for the wrong reason. But when I just pursue doing something well, I want to do this as unto the Lord because God deserves the best. Therein is the difference. Yeah, how you, you yeah. attitude toward it. Yes. Um, explain why Christians today can find confidence in the promises that God made to ancient Israel. I, I love this question because so many friends of mine that relate to the New Testament struggle relating to the Old Testament. 
So how do those ancient stories actually play into this idea of confidence today? Oh, my goodness. First of all, the entire Bible is relevant for for everyday living. And I love the Mm -hmm. stories because they show us how to apply them. I like it when David showed up to fight Goliath, and he was so proportionately inadequate. And and Goliath says, I'm going to take your head off. And he says, oh, no, I'm going to take your head off. Because, see, you're coming to me, you know, with all your armor, (laughs) but I'm coming in the name of the Lord. Listen, that gives you confidence. He understood it. He got it. He got it. He knew that God was bigger than the Goliath. <laughs> he just yeah. knew it because God is not limited by those kinds of things. And those Old Testament stories help us to realize God's not limited to stats and facts and all of that. So even when you read about Abraham and the Bible says he didn't stagger at the promises of God, he didn't consider his own body dead. You know, he didn't consider those facts. Those were realities. But he says, I'm not going to focus on that. My confidence is going to be that the God who has promised he is able to perform that which he has said. That's good stuff. I read more Old Testament stories. I'll just go back and read that. I was just reading that the other day. He considered not the deadness of his wound. I'm like, oh, yes, because I'm doing a study on facts and reality and how we just get so stuck in our education. And we don't think we don't expect things above that. We don't go outside of that realm. My experience and especially women. We, we won't apply for a job unless we have all of the qualifications. They say a man will apply if he has half the, quali- half the qualifications. Or less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So those stories are relevant. Hmm. You, you know, bringing it into a practical example, um, you had a challenging financing project, I think for a church. Yes. How did How did God show up? How did you rely on God? It's a modern-day example of an Old Testament story, probably. Well, it, I, I several ways he showed up during that project, but we had a, a very complicated financing where they use what they call swap agreements. I wasn't really familiar with that aspect of financing, but I remember sitting around the table with a bunch of bankers who were trying to negotiate this $33 million loan, and I'm thinking, God, you got to show up big time today. <laughs> but you know what? They asked me questions, and, and I didn't think I knew the answer, and I just say, God, help me. Just help me. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a question that implied I knew the answer just like the answer was way up here. And they said, oh, you're ahead of us. I certainly want to say, no, I am so far behind you. You're about to run into the back of me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but God, he's, he's done that consistently throughout my, my, when I was in corporate America. Just showed up with responses and answers that I didn't know I had. And then I remembered that the scriptures say that he would not only bring things to your remembrance, See, there were times I wasn't in, it was never, it was never in my memory. I'm like, what about those times? What I read, it says he will teach you and bring things into your remembrance. So God will teach you on the spot. You just got to get to that place where you expect him to do that. And you don't expect with anxiety, you show up with confidence knowing like whatever it is, he's going to bring me through this. Yeah, that's so good. Let me press ahead with criticism. That's one of the things that are examples of good habits of confident people that you're able to receive criticism, uh, whether it's at home or in the workplace, kind of what you described earlier. You use an example from the Bible about Apollos and how he managed criticism. Tell us about that story. Well, you know that he was a Jewish teacher, and it was Aquila and Priscilla that took him home and taught him a more excellent way because he hadn't really been filled with the Spirit, but he had knowledge of the Scriptures, and he was very powerful in that. And they said that he took him aside. Now, keep in mind, these were tent makers, blue-collar workers, who took this man aside and said, there's a more excellent way. And he listened. I'm impressed with his humility. And it goes on to say that he was a great blessing to them. You see, we, we can always learn from somebody. Everybody brings something to the table. 
And so that's how you can increase other people's confidence. I like to try to find the gold in people and, and say, you bring something to the table. I know when people sometimes feel intimidated by me. I don't like that. So I try not to carry myself in a way that people think, oh, I'm not good enough to be with her because trust me, you really are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody brings something to the table. And mm-hmm. I, I like to be able to say that. Well, you've managed people and you've worked in that corporate environment. Sometimes giving feedback isn't well received. Uh, I think you had another example where you were editing, I think, your company's annual report. Report, oh and something goodness. went wrong. Well, you see, and that's one of the great signs of, of a, a habits of a confident person. They can not only receive criticism, and they can give that kind of feedback. And a lot of people just aren't comfortable because they know how they will feel if somebody were to give them some feedback. So they don't give any as well. And so, uh, yes, I did. I did have an example where I hired a guy, and uh, oh no, this is when I was doing the annual report, and it was my first year on the job, and I edited it because I am a writer, so I was making it more succinct and making it grammatically correct. <laughs> Oh, it started a furor. I'm telling you, everybody was upset. How dare you change my work? I'm thinking, don't you want it to be good? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, no. That usually inspires people. <laughs> <laughs> no. I... You know, it's just, it's not correct. Don't you want it to be correct? Yeah. And so, you know, and I'm thinking, I, I don't think I would have responded that way. I love input. I, I ask for input all the time. Like, evaluate it. Tell me how this went. What can I do better? I, I do that. But that, how did you go back and correct that situation? Did you have a chance to say, okay... I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. This is because they had never had anybody to do that. And I'd seen some previous years reports and it was for a nonprofit and they weren't well done. And I'm thinking it's my first year on the job. This is going to be good. <laughs> right. I'm going to prove. I'm no. And yeah. And, I'm, and I had just gotten there. It was my first year on the job. So, <laughs> so yeah. I wanted them to know this is what excellence looks like. We're trying to take the organization to another level, but it wasn't well received. And so yeah. I said, OK, I guess next time I should have sat with that person before I just changed it and published it. Well, and from I mean. that, you, you state in the book four principles that you derive from those experiences. Listen, look, learn, and leave. Yes. Des- I, describe yes. those. Okay. So the Lord gave me these one night when I was totally brain dead. So I know it's totally from him. <laughs> How to receive criticism. First of all, you listen. You don't interrupt. You know, when somebody's giving you feedback, you don't say, I, well, this is because I was doing this. I'll justify it. Just listen. All right. Same letters that spell silence, spell listen. So be quiet. Stop talking. And the other. That's good. <laughs> is it is look, good. look for the truth. Look for the element of truth in what that person is telling mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Learn from it. Be open. Seek first to understand. Don't just be defensive, but learn from it. And then leave the unwarranted part. Leave it. You don't have to embrace it just because somebody's telling you. Because sometimes people, they can be as wrong as two left shoes. <laughs> yeah, there. and so that's the, yeah. the so untruthful that's part the untruthful that part. you can just discern. Leave it. You don't yeah. have to say, yeah, you're off on that one. Just don't say it. Just say, say thank you for that input. Because you know what that does? That positions you as a person who's open to, to input, and people would be more likely to give it to you. Once you've proven that you can't take that kind of input, nobody's going to tell you. I totally agree with yeah. that. That's a management philosophy that I've tried to, to follow is, yeah. you know, let's just see the grains of truth and don't pay too much attention to the stuff that's emotional. Right. And we don't like being, I, I don't like being criticized, and, but I, and I don't like hearing the really bad parts, but I know it's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. those parts. Yeah. You also uh, use an acronym PEACE. What does PEACE, the acronym, stand for? Well, we know that PEACE is the opposite of being anxious and being insecure. So P, the P is for prioritize every aspect of your life according to God's word. What's important to God? 
Hmm. There's a certain amount of peace that comes with just knowing I'm doing the right thing. And then the E is for expect more from God. Don't stop expecting things from people. Expect more from God. Well, that works in marriage. Less from people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's a good reminder. Yeah, I, and I want people to remember that. It's in Psalm 62. My soul, wait only upon God. My expectation is from him. I'm only expecting God. My hmm. highest expe- expectation is from God. A is acknowledge God in all of your decisions. Don't just hmm. make a decision in your own head. Acknowledge God. He will direct your path if you do do that. And then C is to cultivate, cultivate an attitude of contentment. Mm. That's hard because we're sound, surrounded with things that say, don't be content. And then E is to eliminate unrighteous behavior, eliminate unrighteous behavior. And that's a daily battle. This is not something we just do one time and it's all done. It's a daily battle. And you know what? Because the Bible says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isn't that great? It is good. They have come together. There's an intimate connection between doing the right thing and experiencing the peace of God and not being insecure. And that's how we concluded our really great conversation with Deborah Pagay on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And I trust you were encouraged to lean on God and experience His peace. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. That was so good. I really like the listen, look, learn, and leave. As well as the acrostic for peace, prioritize, expect more from God, acknowledge God in all your decisions, cultivate an attitude of contentment, and eliminate unrighteous behavior. You know, our main goal at Focus is to help you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's job one. We love talking about marriage and parenting, and we believe that's right from the Lord's heart to promote the institution of the family. But if you don't know who Jesus is, I want you to get in touch with us. We have a great booklet online called Coming Home, and it'll describe what it looks like to trust in Christ. And of course, we recommend you get a copy of Deborah's great book, 30 Days to a Stronger, More Confident You. So to get in touch with us, call 031-716-3300 or visit our website at safamily.co.za. Thanks for joining us today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.